Hi, and welcome to the Unplugged Debate. On this podcast, we delve into the ideas surrounding human interaction with both nature and technology, talking to people about their time in the outdoors, starting from when they were younger all the way through to present day, developing a picture on who and what motivates them to be outside and why they do the things they do in the outdoors, crossing over into talking about their technology usage and how that's changed throughout their life, and speaking to them about the different types of technology they use on a day-to-day basis, from their mobile phones to their running shoes. Once we've developed a good picture of them, we incorporate that into how they think technology has changed their outlook on life and their time in the outdoors. And finishing with how they think technological development has changed society on a wider scale. So hello and welcome. On today's podcast, we have Stephen Howe. Steve has, um, has a PhD in bio, uh, biochemistry and molecular biology. Post, post-graduating his doctorate, he went off to Canada. I did a postdoc in the University, yeah, University of Montreal. Yeah. So I spent three years there. Oh, very nice. What was your postdoc in? It was, again, molecular biology. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Um, and then he came back to the UK and then went into Unilever where he was in research and development. That's correct, yeah. yeah. And then worked diagnostics, which brought him to Scotland. Yeah, I came to Scotland in 2005. 2005, oh, very nice. Um, and then he set up, you set up your own business, um, helping companies to um, enter, enter the market and be successful in healthcare. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. And then um, you are now uh, a visiting professor at the King's College London yeah. uh, in um, commercial innovation. Yeah, I helped them with the business and they bestowed upon me a visiting professorship, whatever <laughs> <laughs> that means. But um, not just having a, a real science background and uh, being in sort of a lot of tech related stuff. Steve, most recently, have done was the Porto Marathon. He's also done a lot of outdoor walking and running. He also has been on trips to Canada, kayaking and skiing trips across North America and Europe. That's right, yeah. A a person that's really done a lot in tech and a lot in the outdoors, really. A bit of both, yeah, Yeah. yeah. healthcare and and a bit of outdoor stuff. Yeah. So yeah, enjoy being outside. Well, I mean, to start with, we'll we'll, we'll start with the first section and um, we'll get on to the outdoor bit. like what's you know you, you've done a lot in the outdoors what sort of first interested you in that because you yeah. were born in yorkshire yeah. no I, I was actually born in germany oh germany yeah my dad was in the army oh, okay so uh but what really got me into the outdoors like we came back to the uk when i was about 10 years old yeah so we used to have trips up to scotland oh all right nice. into this area here yeah. into perthshire and uh always loved being on the, on the family holiday coming up for a week and yeah we'd be in the back of the larder the car my dad had a larder and we'd drive around the lochs in scotland we had picnics and just fell in love with the hills and really just enjoyed being out you know playing by the rivers and doing what you do when you're, you're young and a kid yeah 
And that, that's really just what got me into it. Okay, so was it your dad then that sort of got you into it? Because obviously if he brought you up here and stuff... Yeah, I suppose he, he did. He played a big part of that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we used to go out and we, the more things we used to go, we, we went to the seaside and things like that. We'd go crabbing in pools and actually just looking in to see what was, you know, when the tide had gone out, what you know, what had been left behind in the rock pools. Yeah. So just that, I suppose, early age got, got me into that whole nature bit. I suppose that helped me with the science that I ended up doing. Yeah. Well, what did your dad do in the military? Was he? A... He was in the Royal Engineers. Ah, okay. So he was. Uh, yeah, he did a, a few tours of Northern Ireland. Yeah. In the seventies, and then um, ended up uh, leaving when he when he'd done his time and, yeah. and came back. And so you spent a lot of time up here. Did like you obviously moved to Scotland as well? What do you think that was one of the impetuses? It was. For... Yeah. I mean, when I had a chance to come up to Scotland, so I was working for an American company. Yeah. And they were, at the time, we were looking to do, um, set up a business. And we were looking to get some, if you like, local money, government money to help make the business set up easier. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at um, Wales, France and Scotland, because each of those regions had development uh, grants to help companies. Okay. And obviously I'd been to Scotland as a young boy and thought this would be a great place to come back to and set up a business. So we got the chance to influence where that was and came yeah. to st set the business up in Stirling. Oh, very nice. So, uh, yeah. Um, just, just back to the... the so. Obviously, you're saying that um, going through rock pools and that sort of thing. Um, what was your favourite thing to do in the outdoors when you were young? Then? Just playing around in streams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you didn't. We didn't have. You know, you made your own fill up, didn't you? I suppose in the in the seventies and eighties before. Uh, before technology. Before yeah, before the internet. I mean, yeah. Totally before the internet was all this. But I, I do remember. So when we used to do the um, the trips up to Scotland, my dad used to. He was in the AA. Yeah. And every year the AA published a book, which was the map, a hardback book with a map. Yeah. And at the back of that was all sorts of things about the British Isles, about the wildlife, the tree species. So half the book was this thing about, you know, what, you know, the wildlife and nature in the British Isles. I always remember reading it. Yeah. And then when we were doing the trips, Dad used to have a little pencil, mm -hmm. like a pen with a little wheel on the end. And he used to plan his route because he used to he used to drive. Mum used to read the the, the notes. So he'd, he'd, he'd get the little pen, he'd go up the A1 with his little pen on the, on the map and he'd record how far it was to this junction, next junction to turn off. Yeah. And he used to write all the notes down by measuring it on the map oh, and awesome. then telling mum, you know, turn off on this junction, go this way. And he'd plan his route up to Scotland that way. And that's my first experience on when I was 10 years old, dad planning his route. That's awesome. I, I mean, I... I remember those pens. Yeah, my, little, my little, grand had one. Yeah, but it was like this little bar went up in on the, in the in the pen, and you could read it off like you know, it's five yeah. miles or is it seven miles, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So that, that that's that's quite interesting that you have certain like pre-internet and pre-Google. Yeah, right. That's how you would do it. Is uh, make you plan your trips by music, like planning it where the junction was, writing notes down. And yeah, sure, you knew where you were going. So yeah, um, uh, you know. And as you, as you, so obviously that was your, your dad's influence and that was when you would have been sort of pre-teenage years yeah, and, and that. Like running around in streams and yeah. like getting muddy and dirty and things like that. It's, it's a real contrast from the people that I've been interview interviewing at the moment because most of them are my contemporaries. Okay, so yeah. I, I, they've grown I'm, up in the yeah. technology age so, rather than so before. We're, well, anyone in my generation, we're just in that cusp of pre technology or pre-internet uh, ready, being readily available yeah. to like now being readily available where we 
hands of Google and phones and all that sort of stuff. So. Well, I mean, the internet was really coming in when I was, it was probably the early, I first recognised it in the early 90s or became aware of it in the early 90s when we were over in Canada. Mm. So, I mean, I wrote my, when I wrote my PhD, I think it was the very first word processor that was out there. Yeah. The person before me in the same lab had written this on a typewriter with, with, um, the carbon paper in to make copies. Yeah. And mine, I'd, I'd used a very primitive Mac editor. Yeah. And did my, and I remember at the time it didn't have alphas and betas on the, on the scripts. Mm -hmm. So you just got a letter set and you used to have to then, when you got the page printed off, you didn't get, you'd get your letter set thing and you'd, you'd highlight and, and these transfers and you'd rub them on the alphas and betas into the chemical equations and things like that. So you yeah. had to do that for six copies on 200 pages. Oh. It took a long time. Um, and there was no automatic page numbering. You had to number this one. You had to number your own pages. Yeah. So you started off and writing all the page page numbers out. But that was oh. we were just on the cusp of the internet then, when, yeah. when things were starting to get interesting. Oh, definitely. Um, so just uh, you know, just to carry on with the outdoor thing. So when you hit your um, your teenage years, did did that sort of start to peter off because you were starting to head towards your yeah, it probably did actually, Craig. Yeah. About it, I mean, um, I was I played football for the school and things, so I ended up that my outdoors were more football sports. Yeah, I didn't do much running then. Um, ended up ended up studying. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing A levels and things, and then going to university. Mm -hmm. Did did some outdoors in university. That's probably when it picked back up again. Yeah, that would be. I did um, kayaking. Joined the kayaking club and remember kayaking down the rivers in in Guildford and things like that. Yeah, so well, I got back into it then. Yeah. Was that when you when you went to university, or was that? Yeah, that was when I went to university to my yeah. first degree in okay. in Guildford. And and so, I mean, you could say that the kayaking sort of carried on throughout your life. It does, yeah, yeah. yeah I've always enjoyed being on water. We've got a kayak under the tree outside here. Yeah, I so, saw that. Yeah, saw that yeah. Got, that's a nice little. That's a Canadian canoe. That's that one. A Canadian. Yeah, canoe. yeah. Do you actually get out on it much or? When I first got it, I did. was out a couple of times. It's quite heavy to get down to the, the lock side. Yeah. But, but yeah, probably a couple of times a year. All right, that's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Well, we started to touch on it. And, and um, yeah, we'll move, move away from the outdoor stuff, seeing as we've sort of reached up to the point where you went to uni. And yeah. So we'll, we'll talk a bit about your businesses, actually, because we're sitting, we're sitting in your office at the moment. And uh, I, I asked when we walked in, what uh, were the... Uh, all the pictures up on the wall and they're all your companies and things like that so just give us a little bit about your company itself before we talk about those ones yeah sure so 2006 i set up a business called innova partnerships yeah and um, what we what we do is there's a group of about six or eight of us at uh, any one time involved in the business and we help companies be successful in science and healthcare mm -hmm. so we've got uh, we do like consultancy work. We help them raise finance if they're needing finance. We help them get their products to market. Um, give them advice. We've been in the people in in my business have had a lot of a uh, lot of experience in helping early stage businesses. So we typically work with businesses up to about thirty to fifty people. Oh right, that's the typical size of business, and they can be doing all sorts. So some of the businesses we help are on the wall. So there's probably one good one is. Uh, Relay Med, which is a business that was set up with a good friend of mine over in Florida. Okay. And, and someone I've known for about 10, 12 years. And um, he was looking to get, when you have medical devices and you get an answer, so you get a diagnostic and you get a result, 
in the US, they have the what they call an electronic patient record, mm -hmm. and the data of your own personal data is on your electronic patient record, but not all the diagnostics are connected to it. Okay. So what this company's done, and what we did in with this business, is help set up a tech team in Edinburgh. Yeah. And they've developed all the software that sits between the diagnostic devices and the electronic patient records. So as right. soon as you go and do a test, it automatically sends the data to the electronic patient record. It's now widely available in the US. It's sold in the US. It's developed in Scotland. Um, sold in the US, and they're doing they've done really well in the last couple of years, especially in the last year because they've started taking COVID data. Yeah. Populating the electronic patient record on on the uh, okay. for people having COVID tests. Oh wow! So they've that's you know they've just grown and grown very very quickly in the last year. So and, and you can take credit for that as well. Well, I, I I help them get the team set up. Um, they've done all the hard work in actually oh. making it happen. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's one of them. There's a, there's a range of them. There's another one there that's Biotangents, that's mm -hmm. a company that's doing um, diagnostics for animal healthcare. Okay. So they're making tests for mastitis for cows. Oh. So mastitis is a problem with cows for milking. Yeah. And uh, it affects milk quality. So there's a lot of milk lost in the world because of mastitis infections. So right. if a cow is suspected of having mastitis, they need to give it an antibiotic, but they need to know which antibiotic to treat it with. Mm. So they, they've got a technology that can do a diagnostic test for mastitis in three hours on the farm. Yeah. Whereas normally it's sent away, it could be seven days before they get an answer back yeah, yeah. from the vet and the, the farmer. So yeah, so each one's different and uh, each one's got its own uh, unique set of people in there and it makes, they've got their own culture, which is amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that must be quite a diverse thing to, to, to like have to work with so many different people in so many different cultures and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's, um, I mean, we work a lot with some of, some of the American folk, you know, in the West Coast, in California, who see the world from where they are and work all the way to people in uh, New Zealand and yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's all around the world. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very very interesting. And I mean, it's 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 brilliant to come come and sit in your office and uh, and actually just see what see have a chat about what you actually what you're actually doing and and, and see the businesses you're working with. So our our latest one, it's a. Uh, because I've used to work in Unilever, we've, they got back in touch with me and asked if I'd do some work with them. And they've got this technology that controls biofilm. Yeah. So biofilms, the like the start when bacteria form on surfaces. Mm -hmm. They're interested in cleaning products for bathrooms and, and things like that to stop yeah. the mould growing. Um, so we set up a joint venture with Unilever recently. And we're, uh, we're looking to take that technology outside the home and take it into things like on boats mm -hmm. for people uh, with their own pleasure craft. Stopping the green slime around the bottom of the boat. Yeah. Um, take them onto solar farms to stop the any uh, covering of the solar panels to make them more efficient. Mm. Uh, so it's got lots of applications, and it's a that's a really inter interesting bit of work. Is that it comes from seaweed actually? Does it originates from seaweed because seaweed live underwater. Yeah. And they're surrounded by water, obviously. Um, and then they need to capture the sun's energy. But if they've got anything growing on the leaves, it's it's inefficient. So yeah. they they have on their on their fronds on the seaweed, they have this chemical that stops bacteria sticking to them. Oh, right. So it's origina it originates from seaweed. Yeah. Also, clever yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and your old company getting in contact with you after. Uh, yeah, it was nice. After such a long time <laughs> was nice. being away. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I bet. So we now know that the man, the myth, uh, <laughs> the Steve Howe that has this, that has this really awesome company that, that helps um, new companies onto the market. Let's head back to 
when you did your PhD and, and your postdoctorate and stuff. Um, so we'll talk about when uh, you obviously did all that outdoor stuff whilst you and then you went to uni and did a lot of studying. Um, you know, um, you would have done your undergrad, you would have done your master's and then you moved on to your PhD and then that would be the last little bit. So while you're at university um, studying this, did you ever think that you would be like this person? That no, did, no, did, I never did. did. I never had a grand plan for my life. No. It's one of those things that you, you find the bits you enjoy doing and you, you do more of it. And yeah. then you end up doing the bits. Well, that's what I've done. I've just focused on the bits I enjoy doing and anything I didn't enjoy, I was like, oh, that's not for me. I moved on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you said you kept up. So you did the kayaking whilst you were uni and stuff like that? Yeah. yeah. I first started kayaking at in the University of Surrey in Guildford. Okay. So we uh, joined the, the uh, is that, that was actually a kayak rather than a Canadian canoe. Yeah. So I learned to do the Pilata roll and all that stuff and the water, you know, and get back up when you're upside down. Yeah. Did all that, did all the safety stuff. And then we did a few treks down the rivers and that stuck with me. And then that was in, um, what the late eighties, early nineties, and then when I finished my degree and went to do a, a PhD in Leeds, mm-hmm. um, lost it then in Leeds because we were in the city, yeah. and then um, got the chance then to go to Canada mm-hmm. and to do a postdoc. Spent three years in Canada and um, fantastic. It was like Scotland on steroids. It was yeah, you know, we're in the, the Laurentian Mountains, just an hour away from skiing. Yeah. Uh, so carried on canoe- canoeing, but moved towards a Canadian canoe then. Yeah. And um, we used to do annual treks into the wilderness mm-hmm. with the lab. So we'd take four canoes and eight people, two people a canoe with their own, each had their own tents and supplies, we'd plan a route. And again, this was just before, this was the internet was coming in, so you could get a little bit of information on the internet. It was about the first time emails were being sent around that point as well. Right. Um, and then um, we used to plan our trips, we'd go into the mountains, about two days, well, about a day traveling and then another day uh, like kayaking away from where we were and then doing a big loop around all different river systems and lakes. Yeah. Uh, in in the in the in the wild wilds with bears on the bear prints on the beaches where we were ca- camping and yeah it was amazing really good times. I mean, you you say that uh, Canada was um it, you know it, it's uh, Scotland on steroids and you've got bear prints and things like that that you know and it's pre emails and or just as it was coming in in the cusp. Um, I mean, how how does that compare to to nowadays? When you, if you were to go and do one of those trips now, yeah, how do you think it would compare compared to? Because you've got that experience of sort of pre internet. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting because I think at the time you'd sit around the campfire, you'd talk talk because you didn't you, know, you didn't have a Wi Fi connection. Mm. You'd be sat around the campfire at night, toasting marshmallows and yeah, know, having a having a bit of food, and you just chat and you'd see the sunset. You'd hear you'd be so in touch with nature because. You'd hear the loons calling across the lake. Mm-hmm. Um, there were no other distractions other than the people you're with. I think nowadays, especially you know, with getting, uh, you can get 4G signals in the, the wildest places, can't you? Yeah. And you, you know, people are very connected. So it's, it takes a lot of discipline, I think, at the moment to not be with your mobile device and connected phone. Yeah. So it's got its pros and cons. You, you're constantly barraged with information or can be or can easily access information so you've got it's got its pluses and minuses mm. but in the it seemed a simpler time that sounds stupid but it seemed a simpler time there's no other distractions than what you were doing so the, the memories of them are very very vivid yeah i can still see the sunset over one of the lakes when we camped with the campfire because mm-hmm. it was a violet blue sky and amazing colors 
but you're, you're there in the moment, you're living it. Yeah. You're not having a ping on a text or a WhatsApp message come through and, and getting you distracted. Well, there was a study that uh, run by the post office that dubbed uh, the fear of not having your phone now as nomophobia. Oh, right. Okay. So, so, it's, so it's an actual it's a, it's a, it's a thing. But yeah. it's really interesting for you to say that uh, you have that vivid memory of, yeah. of just sitting there and, you know, being present in, 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 in the, the moment. moment. Yeah. Whereas nowadays there's, there's so much input we can have and people would be sitting there taking pictures of the sunset and things like that. Rather than watching it directly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean... If we put that into the mix, do you, do, I mean, if you were to go out and do that now, mm. do you think you'd have your technology with you? Yeah, I would. I mean, I would have my phone. I'd yeah. have my tracking watch. Um, you'd be constantly worried about charge because mm -hmm. if you're, that's the other thing you need to think about. And you know, I do a bit of skiing and things. So you know, when I, when I go skiing, you're out for the day. You're tracking yourself. You constantly worried about phone charge dropping or or yeah. things like that. So you have a different. I suppose you have a different different set of thinking to do when you've got your technology with you but it's you know it's improved things in so many ways it, be, it then comes down to you as how disciplined you are as to how you want to use it yeah i mean it's i'm not saying it's a bad thing at all it's a great thing to have technology because it eases everything you do you're so well connected with anyone you want to be yeah you can record it like you say you can take sunset pictures or you can do voice recordings yeah, do like vi videos yeah. yeah yeah do videos of stuff so i mean i've got a limited set of photographs from my trips in canada because we had we had a camera and we took film and, and yeah. so there's some old, old you know old photographs that I've somewhere in the house I've got to digitize them so I can have them on my phone but they're, they're somewhere in, a, in, in the house somewhere but I, I, my personal feeling is is that it's nicer to have those those memories than to, to, to have the pictures of it yeah um, I know it's a film and things like that but have you ever seen the the life of uh, the secret life of Walter Mitty with no. Ben Stiller no uh, there's a moment where he's he, obviously he's searching for a photographer and he finds him in, in the Himalayan mountains and they're trying to take a picture of a snow leopard and, and it's sort of, like I'm paraphrasing, uh, but he's sort of sitting there and he goes, he has the shot and he goes, sort of, come down, look at this. And he's like, sometimes I take it, sometimes I don't. Huh. It's just to have the, the moment. moment. Wow. Yeah, so very powerful. I, I, yeah, I like that. I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. Because it's just sort of like, no, you don't have to. Yeah, you can just sit. Just there sit down and enjoy it. And enjoy yeah, it. yeah. So I, I think that that's a lot of what I take from what you're saying there is that, yeah, you're just you could sit there and enjoy the moment, and you weren't worried about the outside world because the outside world can be in a small yeah. device in your hand or in your pocket. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, with with what we've just been talking about there, um, what sort of technology do you use? Yeah, um, so at the moment I've got a Garmin tracking watch, a Phoenix 5, yeah. uh, that I got for them doing the marathon. Uh -huh. um, battery life's amazing, it's great, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So um, I did think of the I, the iPhone or the, the iWatch, mm -hmm. uh, but that concerns me about the battery life on that, having to charge it every day. So this is great, I just don't have to worry about the charge. Um, so it does GPS tracking, links to an app, so I can see where I've been, and so press a trail run or whatever and you can then download the app afterwards and see where you've been get all the stats i love stats mm. so i love being able to measure how i'm doing yeah so i specifically bought it to run the marathon with yeah um and to train and it's got it's great it's got um i'm a big convert to Garmin, as you can tell <laughs> it's the only one i've really used i mean uh, but um they've got um trainers built into the app right. so I, i've got I'm, at the moment i'm using a 
um, a training method called the Jeff Galloway Run Walk Run method. Okay. So I've done, I've, I've used all three of their trainers on there and in different programs for like 12 weeks. Yeah. So this one I'm just aiming to do my own little 10k run at the end of May. Oh, right, nice. So, uh, but yeah, it's um, it's a Garmin Phoenix 5 Battery Life. It lasts about five days to a week. You can get one. There's a Phoenix 6 out now. Yeah. Uh, they're not cheaper, that's the thing. I think it's the four or five hundred pounds, something like that. Um, I mean, yeah, it links to the Garmin app, it links to Strava. I use a bit of Strava, which is interesting. So I'm not, I'm not an expert on Strava, but with a community, it's very community-based is Strava. So you can, if you've ever used something like that, you can set running points and you can have challenges. So you can see the top 10 people who've ran that route and yeah. the time they've done, and you can look at your personal bests, yeah. things like that. Yeah, I use Strava a little bit myself as well. Right. So it's so I, I know the, the, the ins and outs, but I don't have the premium accounts, so I can't set those sort of yeah. goals and things yeah, like okay. that. Yeah, okay. Because Strava itself you can use as a training guide as well. Yes, you can, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, um, I, I mean, I'm a polar man. So, uh, right, yeah. yeah. So yeah. One, of my, one of my first trackers was a polar watch Yeah. years ago. Um, I think at the time, though, the graphics weren't great. It was when they first started coming out, and yeah. it did. You know, you could follow a trail of breadcrumbs where you'd been. Well, yeah, they're all very much the same, aren't they? These days, you all do the, yeah. the same features, and you can get mini mini maps on them and things. Well, my mind's mind's a bit lower uh, lower in the price range than yours. Yeah, well, this doesn't do maps. Of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the latest one. I'm thinking I'm not spending that much on a watch. <laughs> But yeah, and I yeah. use so I use that. It's connected to my iPhone, and um, yeah. so I know if I take anything with me, I'm always with my watch and my iPhone. Yeah, but I mean, sitting here, you've got your you've got your iPad in front of you as well, and and obviously for your business, you you'll have a lot of technology because of, because you do conference calling. On yeah, it. yeah. We I suppose in the last year we've used a lot of Zoom, a lot of Teams, yeah. um, a different different yeah tech. So we yeah, the office is set up for doing calls. Yeah, a lot of people are these days, but. Uh, I mean, so I mean, looking at that, I mean, we're sitting um, sitting in quite a modern room as well. As I mean, you 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 really went to to town on how you use your watch for training and things like that, and you used it specifically for training for that for the, your yeah. marathon. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, that's what I was writing down when I looked away. It was sort of like, well, how how do you think you would have trained for that if it was back in the nineties? Great question. I think yeah, there's so much information now available, isn't there, on yeah. on um, performance and I mean that's a it's a borderline between mass sport and the health industry. Where does the line cross? Because a lot of the what I do in in my business is all about helping people live longer. Yeah. Through you know diagnostics or, or therapeutics and things, and you know when you get to the active activity market, then it's where the tech crosses, and it's really interesting because. The amount of studies you've got now on how to train mm -hmm. and what level heart rate you need to be training at for doing different things. Yeah. Um, it's so much there's so much info there that there can be there can be training guides that you can download and just follow. Mm. Whereas I think in the past you relied on experience and teaching from one-on-one -on -one coaching or groups, yeah. you know, like uh, clubs, things like that. And that came that was that knowledge passed down into the club. Mm. And that's why you had your suppose the personal trainers have come from that era and then they've combined that with tech. Yeah. So in the past, it was all about, you know, working with people and learning from people rather than learning through the technology interface. Mm. That's interesting because obviously I, I have a, a, I'm an adventure educationist, but I also have a sports science background as well. So, I, you know, you talking about all that sort of stuff is, yeah, there's sports science 
exploded basically in the early 2000s yeah. um and i think you're right in that in that respect is a lot of it um a lot of coaches had to adapt to this this new thing and that when they were getting reading these studies to suggest maybe that their training ideas weren't were the, the most up to date yeah. or they didn't have the latest data behind it yeah I, I do i do think that it's maybe they struggled a little bit to to like adapt to yeah that, uh, that sort of thing have you ever used those the the Peloton bikes? Like you know that whole Peloton thing you see the adverts on TV where it's almost like group cycling, isn't it? Yeah, and, and training like that. I, I've never done it. I've always thought that looks an interesting concept. Uh, no, I've, I've never done it. Yeah, it is uh, for because it's cycling such a solo thing, really. Mm. If you think about it, it's such a singular sport. But to be able to do it in a in your own like bedroom or living room yeah. or something like that, but be part of a big group and cycling along in the peloton then yeah i think i think this is this is the thing is that there's so many advantages to having all this tech yeah but you, do you remember as you touched on something there which um, gave me a thought when we when we were doing our marathon there was four of us yeah doing a marathon from a little village in scotland yeah and um because we were registered and people knew what number we were on and the, the, the marathon this was two years ago in porto mm. the people were sitting in the village shop tracking where we were on the course in real time yeah and could see us crossing different points and that just brought it home to me that you know i, I hadn't appreciated that until we came back and they felt connected to us because they had the tech there and we were running with our little trackers on as we were going over the different mats and they so they knew where we were as yeah. we were doing the doing the run which i thought was amazing when i look back on that yeah it's almost like on, on, the, on the watch on the on the garmin watch you yeah. can set i can set when i go out for a run i can set live track so my wife can then see on an e on a on a website where I actually am at any one point in time. That's a, that's insane. so you know she's used it a couple of times, but it's uh, you can just go press live track and off you go, and if you don't you don't well, come you well, don't well. move for a while. <laughs> 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 they also know exactly where you are as well. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 nuts. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Suppose it's interesting that that debate about where. You know, I choose to do that, so it's my choice to say where I am. But that privacy thing is a big, big thing, isn't it, at the moment with yeah. uh, with information as well. So, um, I mean, yeah, you you sort of sort of starting to touch on on how development is changing at the way that we interact with both people and and yeah. society as well. So, I mean, that's touching on it. So, we might as well move on to that because uh, it's naturally moved into that. Um, so. Obviously, we spoke about how you being on those shores of those lakes and things like that and not having phone and, and you can vividly remember it. Um, you know, bring fast forward to now where, you know, we're talking about um, how you can have live tracking or where we in Porto or, and, and things like that. How do you feel from being a young, young man Young man growing up from in like Germany and things like that, and moving into Scotland and, and that sort of thing. How do you feel technology has changed, and how do you feel it's affected the modern day and, and modern society and culture? Yeah, well, great, that's a big question. It's a, a broad, question. it's a broad question. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think you know, I'm always a half glass full man, and it's it's a positive thing. Technology has moved that way. I mean, it's eased so many people's lives. It's created lots of jobs. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think the way you know, like commercial and societies move forward is you're always evolving as a as a society. So I think having more tech techie jobs and more people in, interested in and involved in technology is a good thing because that's you know, it's 
it's how we're progressing as a as a as a human is how humanity is progressing overall. Mm. So I, I, I embrace all that. Um, I think one of the challenges, and I'm not an expert in it, it's the whole psychology and and how it affects children's development and behaviour growing up. And I think that is a big area. I'm not an expert on it, but I can imagine parents being under pressure with introducing their children to technology and what the right age is for different things. We've got some very close friends who we've seen their children grow up and have known them for years. Um, they've got twins. And I remember when they were turning five and six, I hadn't been exposed to 18 now, so it gives you an idea of they've grown up in this era. Yeah. And it's when were they allowed to have a phone, when were they allowed to have time on the internet? Um, and that whole, I remember their parents having this debate and talking to us about it, mm. um, about whether it's right or wrong. And the children in their class were having phones before they did, so they didn't want to feel left out. So there's a whole that, all that pressure on parents raising children um, and trying to be very aware on technology. And at some point, what you tend to find is the children become the experts and then the parents lose touch on where technology is going. Yeah. You know, certainly when I when I used to work in an office and had my work for another a large company and you had lots of people around, you could ask people questions. Mm. Now you've got Alexa a voice assistants and that's how you end up asking questions you don't know. Yeah. You normally turn to your colleagues and say, how do you do this in Word or whatever? And how do you do that? And they, they tell you because they've learned from, from their kids and things. So yeah. I think the way people are learning now is a, is a is a you know has changed tremendously. Um, I think that well we, we in our little conversation beforehand you're sort of like trying to get your headphones sorted. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where, yeah. <laughs> where's, where's, where's the microphone, microphone on this? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you wouldn't have had. In, in school, you wouldn't have had uh, ICT or any sort of ah, IT things. So we did, yeah. I did. Yeah. A, I did a, an O level in computer studies. Oh. So I learned to program in BASIC. So it was BASIC a, JavaScript. Or? It was. It's called BASIC. Yeah. Oh, was it? Line ten, prints this line for A equals one to ten. And it was all very very early code. It was just above machine code. Mm -hmm. So just as computers came out, were coming out. So I did computer studies and got into the computer games and moved into that area, but didn't stay in programming. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I wouldn't know how to program now. I know people who know how to program, but I don't know how to program. Uh, well, you know, you, you actually did more coding than I did. <laughs> <laughs> in my IT, uh, ICT lessons, I, I don't actually remember. Um, a lot of it was learning how to use Excel and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, we weren't learning how to code, we were learning how to use the, the, the software. Software, yeah, yeah the, the so, programs that were yeah. already there. So yeah. we could be proficient in the modern world. Wow. Yeah. So well, my mum taught me how to touch type on a proper typewriter. Oh, really? Yeah, so my mum did secretarial work in part of her early career, so she, we had a typewriter at home. Yeah. So I can finger type on a typewriter. But she taught me when I was about eight or ten mm. how to type because I was interested. I showed interest in this machine that was going click, 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 and um, so it was great when computers came out. I could just just type just easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that's interesting that you say that because now now there's um, anecdotally people that I know are saying that their two year olds are able to use people's mobile phones yeah so you saying that you were interested in your mum's typewriter and she taught you how to touch type it's yeah. the exact same thing but in a different medium mm. so that's that's really interesting to sort of go down that avenue yeah one of my colleagues who worked with us in the past her, her son 
um, when he was two years old, was be, was able to Zoom his or FaceTime at the time. It was FaceTime his grandmother in Australia. Yeah. Take the iPad, call his grandmother in Australia, and it was like, that's amazing that kids can just go and do that. And yeah, they were going to. A, the other thing I've seen is children going to a book and trying to swipe the pages on a book like they would on a tablet. Oh really? And then wondering why it's not the pages aren't turning. Because they don't they don't understand they the concept of, of, book. of a book. So, yeah, because they've been used to a tablet. Yeah, I've seen you know. Sure, they soon get the hang of it, but it's uh, just that's it's just a different different way of uh, interacting with the world. It's 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 very interesting because they say now that um, I haven't actually read any papers on it, but they, they're saying now that we have shorter attention spans mm. due to um, due to the, the level of sort of social media that we use and the instant gratification you can get from that. So, yeah. um, someone who was born sort of in the two in the two thousands basically. If they have upwards of um six social media accounts they could uh they could touch their phone six to uh, five to six thousand times a day. Wow. Yeah. Depending on how many social media accounts they have. Yeah. Um so you know um and Social media, such such things like Facebook and Instagram and things like that, they're designed to, to hit that um, yeah. gratification yeah. in your so brain, like a surge of a surge of adrenaline or something. So, um, to make you feel good, mm. that you read books on people who are influencers or something like that, and some of them they're sort of like crying on the bathroom floor before, and then they get themselves looking good, post something, get that instant gratification. For the likes and then it's, 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 it's a spiral circle. yeah wow um yeah, the, the, yeah i've seen some of the information i'm not an expert in it but the way they you know you have the little button where you've got a one or a two showing and people want to press and see what their message is yeah it's that it's, it triggers an endorphin that they've yeah. pressed something and they've got like you say that instant gratification exactly it's like a lot of games gaming apps do a lot of that as well well, um, cartoons are one of them. Yeah. If, every 30 seconds, they have to have a hook to keep, keep them interested. Interest. Right. Um, or, um, what was it? What's, what's this thing? I was talking to my dad and I was saying that people of your generation, depending on how much you use technology, yeah. if your phone goes off, you won't have an instant reaction to pick your phone up or to, it's not, an automatic yeah, response, yeah. whereas the people of my generation and, and yeah. younger, that ping, that knows that, that ping, instant, that instant ping. Yeah. If your phone goes off, they'll be instantly down to. It's just an automatic phone. reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't worked out what your automatic reactions would be. Certain <laughs> things, but well, it's yeah. interesting. Just then, I was looking at my iPad. I've got a few notes on it, and I noticed somebody had come up with an email to come. I knew who it's from, and it's like so that distracted me while I was just talking here. Yeah. And, you know, I, I should have turned the setting off on that, but it's, you know, it's, uh, we're surrounded by uh, distraction all the time these days, aren't we? I mean, how has your usage changed since, uh, obviously, Canada and, and that yeah. sort of thing, and setting up your own business? Um, Pre-business, what, what was your usage like in post-business? Yeah, it's, it's hugely different. I mean, now I'm probably on my phone, iPad, or on, on the internet. I'd hate to think I'm, I'm going to say ten hours a day, yeah, something like that. Because I mean, we're in lockdown as well, so it's it's it's. But even before lockdown, I, but I suppose now before lockdown, we're, it was more um, personal meetings. Mm -hmm. So now what's what's happened is I'm you know 
the way to keep in touch right now is is through the internet and through so you know i could there's nothing i'd have six or eight calls a day zoom calls or team calls whereas before i'd have one or two meetings a day because where we live to drive to edinburgh takes an hour and a half yeah an hour meeting drive to glasgow you might have two meetings in a day Mm. whereas now i can do eight six and eight meetings in a day stretching from in the morning to new thing you know, with New Zealand all the way through to the US in the, in the afternoon mm-hmm. so it's massively changed it's uh, it's unrecognizable um, do you think that's a good thing um, I think if you can control it it is I have trouble controlling it yeah. personally I mean I, you know, I'm a bit of a workaholic I enjoy what I do but I'm trying to get out of it I'm trying to you know think now thinking I'm at that age where I'm thinking well I need to be actually getting back to what I love doing which is going outdoors and doing yeah. more of that so if I can block out half four or five hours in a day, I'll go for a long walk with with my wife and the dog, yeah. and and do that. Or I go for like a couple of hours run or something. But you've got to plan it in. Mm. Whereas before, you you know the, the pressure of I suppose the current society wasn't as intense. It didn't seem it. Yeah. Um, it seemed a bit more that you had control over over things. So I think it's how you how you interact with it and how you control it yourself. So yeah, because. It, that's the sort of textbook thing when you talk to professional people that the um and what's well, so yours is a different uh type of because you're talking to many people are through different time zones and things yeah. like that. You have to sort of be available um whereas people who are working in, in sort of different industries that are a bit closer to home and stuff, um, there's an inability to like switch off and if an email comes through and yeah uh, relaxing mm. one of my guests actually said that is he, he was running a surf school in guernsey right and he was saying that you know there's some emails that come through in the evening like if it's not super late yeah but he'll answer them and i, I just sit there and think sometimes um i remember one of my directors at glen eagles would say like we used to do everything on a whiteboard or, or, or yeah. a, a piece of paper or mm-hmm. organize the whole week on a piece of paper and stuff and then when you go home, you couldn't take any work home with yeah, you, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, so... Do you know when I started my business, and there's a whiteboard still in the other room, yeah. and I ran my business off the whiteboard. And when I used to go away at weekends, because I, I knew what was going on, what I needed to do, I'd take a picture on my phone of the whiteboard. <laughs> so I'd go away for like a, tri- a weekend trip, and then, so I'd have it always there, so I knew what I was doing. And I had better tools than using that, but that, that's how I worked, because I suppose that transition between... That's how I used to do it. Yeah. Uh, growing up and, and being in universities, everything with science is a whiteboard. Yeah. You have an idea, you write it on the whiteboard. So I've still got the whiteboard there. And my chairman of my business always mocks me and says, you're still running the company from the whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it, but it's strange how I used to take a photograph of the whiteboard because it had everything on it in one, one place. I used to take it and it reminded me of what was going on because the business is lots of complex businesses and lots of things going on in different areas. So... Um, it's got less now, I must say. It's got less, but yeah. so I still use it. It's still there. It's still the way you process. Yeah. So I've got an idea and I want to put it down. I put it on the on the whiteboard and, and it's there. So it's it's right in front of the desk. I know what, what's going on. Yeah. I mean, as as, as the technology's changed, um, have you noticed, sort of, because obviously you employ people as well, um, how, um, in the younger employees and things like that, do they use less paper? Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all on the on the, on apps and on yeah. phones and on on you know tablets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I haven't made that transition. I I find it 
I'd much rather sit down and read it on a piece of paper than I would on a screen. Yeah, that's how I suppose that's the era I was brought up in, and um, I, I still can't read academic papers on a PC. I yeah, have to print them off so you can scribble on them as well. But, mm. um, I know there are tools out there to do that, and you can you know you can write on PDFs and things like that, and, and keep save them as yeah. notes on. But I just haven't got round to doing that. Um, and I mean, so. You say that you have to plan your, your day a little bit more just so you can get outdoors and do the things that you enjoy as well. Um, that's quite interesting. Um, you know, because your technology is so readily available, but also you've got to talk around the world. Um, one, of, one of my last sort of questions is that I ask people is, um, if you could, doesn't matter where, um, uh, be completely off grid, so no technology, mm -hmm. no no electricity. Be completely off grid for a year. Would you take it? And wow. Where, and where would you do it? Wow, <clears throat> great question. You know, it reminded me. I haven't talked about it. We did a bit of sailing. Yeah. And I was off grid for five days. Yeah. We saw we we a friend had a boat down in in Florida, uh -huh. and we sailed across to the Bahamas, and we did a fifteen day trip around the Bahamas. I'd never sailed before. It was a brilliant experience, but. Five days without off-grid, and then we got to a little island called Spanish Key, yeah. which, which had internet after five days. And I remember and the internet was really, really slow. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> thinking, because I, I just I yearned that getting in touch with what was going on. Yeah. But those five days being without tech was amazing. It was great. You just felt, you know, you got back to who you were and talked about just, you know, you, you just, have, just have a, having a chat, a bit like going back to the times around the campfire in, in Canada. But I do it for a year. I'd like to have retired and done it for a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think to do it right now would be, be a real challenge. But yeah, it'd be a great thing to do. Mm. I, yeah, I think uh, come back to me in a few years when I've retired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's the thing is um, I get different answers from different yeah. people. Yeah. Right. The, um, the, the, people that I did on my course, most of them have instantly gone, yes, definitely would do it. And then people, uh, there was one of them, one of my mates who said, uh, no, he probably, he wouldn't do it because he kind of did it when we went out to Norway, yeah. but he, could, he couldn't Could, see, like, so, yeah. he wants to be connected. And, I, I would do it once I've retired. Yeah. I think um, I'm probably trying to have a plan as to how to, to get to retirement. Um, yeah. But it's that balance between enjoying what you do and, and doing it yeah, for for the pride of the money or to live, and, yeah. and he's find, everyone has to find that own balance. And I think uh, we've become very materialistic in the world, and, yeah. and I think uh, just going stripping it right back to nature and going sitting around a campfire in the middle of nowhere, yeah, just looking at the beauty of what's out there. It's incredible. Well, that's that's why I ask it. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, just have the thought process of mm. is that is that possible? Could I do that? Yeah. Um. Obviously, with. The amount of stuff that's going on in your life, probably not. Yeah, I think this at this moment in time it would be difficult to do. I think in three or four years' time, yeah, I'd love to give give that a go and do something similar to that. I always wanted to travel around the world and, and take the whole, you know, take a year and just. One of the thoughts was, I suppose, it's linked to technology. It was following the Grand Prix circuit around the world. Oh. You get to see the world, mm -hmm. go to a Grand Prix race each time, um, and then travel the world by visiting all the major cities where they're doing the Grand Prix, and then in between, if you're in Australia, going and having a look in Australia or wherever, and so that's. One of my thoughts, I wouldn't be in the middle of nowhere, but I'd still be connected, but to, to yeah. see the world in a year would be a great thing to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, that 
would be, that would still be connected. It would. Yeah, yeah it would be what you described. <laughs> I mean, do you remember those, uh, those early programs? Was it uh, Ben Fogel did a few, didn't he? Did the, he was on Tarrant Safe for a while, for a year, was it a year or uh, did, did built a series around him and uh, he obviously thrived in that environment and enjoyed it. Was it uh, he? Was it, was it Ben Fogel? There was someone who was going around and videoing people that were trying to live off the grid. So there, there, there is a movement at the moment where people are starting to like build their houses that aren't attached to the technology, uh, aren't attached to the electricity, aren't attached to mains waters and, th uh, and things like that. So there are people that are doing that. Um, and they, they were interviewing some people and basically uh, this guy um, with his, I think it was his girlfriend or his wife, but he had kids from a different relationship. He would come out of the wilderness, go to his car, switch his car on, so he could then charge a phone so he could FaceTime his children. Right, right. So whilst he's out there, it's completely like off the grid and, and they would use a sauna. I think they were up in Sweden somewhere. Uh, and then they would use a sauna and right, yeah, all that yeah. sort of stuff to, to clean. And, and So it's really interesting. That's why I ask. Yeah. It just depends on people's reactions. So, but yeah. Uh, well, I think we covered uh, uh, quite a lot in that, Steve. Thank you very much. It's um, good. I enjoyed the, uh, the chat there, Craig. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for being uh, part of the podcast. No, we'll look forward to listening to it in the future. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's been great. Thank you. Right, brilliant. Cheers. Thanks again to Steve for joining us on the Unplugged Debate and giving his perspective. Next week on the Unplugged Debate, we have B. Dawkins giving her perspective. So until then, thanks for listening.